I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> an alternative universe. See, there aren't any textbooks that teach about these principles. It's dangerous if the government gets in the business of propaganda. We need journalistic integrity now more than ever. Warning, you're listening to the Agenda 31 podcast with Corey Ive and Todd McGreevy. The thing, remember, names are for things. That is why the United States respects the sovereignty of the British people and their right of self determination. For good reasons, we don't want the government to be the lead on that. Due to the unique division of political authority in the United States, U.S. citizens are residents in every state and should not attempt to copy the strategies employed by the hosts of the Agenda 31 broadcast without first consulting legal counsel. Do you have a license for this? Uh, motivation. What's, uh, what, what, what is my motivation? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with slavery, just so we're clear. As a U.S. citizen, you you just don't own anything. You're just a, a user, and the government owns everything. And the assumption is everybody's a U.S. citizen. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. Saudis, while being our allies, are also the primary cancer of radical Islam globally. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Agenda 31. This is your co-host, Todd McGreevy, and I'm being joined by Corey Ive. Greetings, Greetings Corey. Todd. Hey. In, in the evening to you, Corey. In the evening. <laughs> Waving a hand from the also dark left coast. Yeah, I'm broadcasting uh, dark for once. It is a Saturday evening, May 20th, 2017, and we are broadcasting live to tape for episode number 133 of Agenda 31. So uh, I couldn't help but play that clip, Corey. Uh, the, the Saudi is, it's all about Saudi right now. All about Trump being over in Saudi Arabia. I, I'm, I, I'm presuming you're aware of this. Yes, I am. And I'm going to go mute for just a second because the dogs are about to bark. <laughs> the dogs are about to bark. Hate it when that happens. Well, we appreciate you tuning in live to this show. We, uh, we have we have uh, Uber Eats out here. Do you have that? Do you have Uber Eats? Uh, we do not, but I am familiar with the dynamic where you can. Uh, act, a friend of mine drives Uber in Florida, and he says people actually will order a burger and fries and have it delivered via Uber. It's incredibly awesome. It's the <laughs> best. I see. Well. Um, there is a Mongolian beef bowl that'll be showing up here any second, which is why the dog is barking. He, the dog can hear the, I apologize, it'll stop in just a wow. second, or I can mute. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Well, <laughs> I guess our timing couldn't be better to do the show. Uh, <laughs> Sorry uh, Wow. Uh, well, that's, that's live uh, podcasting, everybody. That's, that's right. Yeah, welcome to Agenda 31. So, Corey, you, uh, we're going to circle back to the whole Saudi connection. Uh, and, uh, cool. Um, I've got some other clips I want to play regarding the Middle East, and I tease that in our, uh, our uh, subscription uh, blast I just sent out to our subscribers at our website. But meanwhile, you are going to do a drone shoot tomorrow, and that predicated yes. you getting involved with some FAA uh, paperwork, I think. And I, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not sure exactly what went down, but it seemed illuminating, if you will, what you've been through recently. 
Well, it's pretty, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the shoot's been planned for a long time mm-hmm. and, uh, aerial photography, long, by the way, aerial photography, exactly. Doing some aerial photography of a wedding proposal and not firing uh, stinger missiles, just, you know, dealing with photography. That's it. The problem is the, uh, the groom has, you know, a very specific goal for what he wants to do and he's got everything planned out. And the one part that just wouldn't work is a drone flight where he wants to do the proposal because of its proximity to an airport. So it's not a wedding, it's, it's, a, it's a proposal to be married. Correct, yeah, it. it's a proposal to get engaged to be married. Right, right. And uh, the, the, uh, the further aggravating part to that is that there is what's called a FISBO, a, uh, uh, an, it's a FAA kind of enforcement office where, you know, if you need to have your plane checked out or something like that, you would go to the FISBO. They're kind of the, you know, that's where the the equivalent of the FAA police kind of are at, which is also where you would find the area drone guy. It just so happens that this office is about 200 yards away from where we wanted to fly. Wow. And, um, and so when I went and checked it out the first time, just kind of looked at it on what's called a sectional map. Um, which is a map that is used for pilots, but it kind of gives you an idea of the area, the LA sectional. I was just like, there's no way. I mean, there's just, it's just not worth the risk. Um, and the risk uh, that you might uh, hover into space that's unauthorized. Well, you are within space that are, that is unauthorized because you'd be within five miles of the airport. In this case, just a few hundred yards from the airport. Um, so what's what, what's the risk? The risk of flying, meaning you just you can't. Oh, just the risk of being in trouble for a statutory violation. There wouldn't be any risk to humans right. or right. any real safety risk with this flight. Mm-hmm. It's just you would be doing a flight in an area that is automatically determined to be, you know, you you're not allowed to fly drones within five miles of airports. Is basically unless you get a variance, correct? Yeah, if, unless you get a variance, and then in order to get a variance or be able to get a the equivalent of like flight following to be able to get that you have to have registered your drone and the law is you have to register your drone or face ten thousand dollar fine or in three years in prison and looking at the drone application it's kind of like the uh the dmv application um for a driver's license the it's way different than an airman's certificate and uh, it's got 14th Amendment, U.S. citizen, you know, were your property. And literally, when you register your drone, you're basically turning it over to the FAA, and then you're allowed to use it. And uh, and under those terms, I mean, it's one thing to offer voluntary registration, which is what the FAA might move to. Uh, but the registration they had was compulsory and, you know, mandatory. And if you got caught flying a drone without the drone being registered and it weighed more than half a pound, you could pay a fine of $10,000 and be put in prison for up to three years. Well, say, now listen, let's sit down on the steps of this house and uh, think this thing out. Yeah, so I've already donated a few cars to the cause, Todd. I've, I've got my fair share of battles. I've created the groundwork for everything that I need for the next step. I didn't need a face-off with the FAA. Um, this guy just wants some drone footage of his uh, proposing to his wife. You don't want to ruin his day. You know, you ruin, ruin your career over his, uh, his, his special day. Right. Yeah, there's no real – the risk-reward is there was nothing there. Well, now 
uh, an appeals court strikes down the FAA's registration requirement. Really? Which is pretty cool. It's it's fascinating. This just happened. So, which is why I called up my buddy and said, look, because it's re- coming close to the day. I said, hey, I can do this now. Um, oh. And with the schedules, Sunday is the only day we can get together with the right people. Uh, and so tomorrow oh. we're doing it. I appreciate everybody, uh, especially you, Todd, being flexible and we can do the show tonight. Oh, that's no problem. I mean, it's, it works out. That's, I mean, so what, tell me about this appeals thing. I mean, what, 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 what's the ramifications of this? Well, the FAA kind of has signaled that they might, um, that they're reviewing the decision, which means they might appeal it. And basically, the FAA is taking the stance that just because Congress said that the FAA shall, uh, um, shall produce no rules regarding model aircraft. Let me see if I can get the way the judge worded it exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it was a three panel court. The judge, the kind of in summary, the, the judges wrote that the FAA modernization and reform act prohibits the FAA from promulgating any rule or regulation regarding a model aircraft. The registration rule is a rule regarding model aircraft. Therefore, the registration rule is unlawful to the extent that it applies to model aircraft, the judges wrote. So Congress said, okay, FAA, here is this new act we're doing. This is how it's all going to work, and you're not allowed to create anything that has to do with model aircraft. So what the FAA did was the FAA said, well, it's not a model aircraft. It's a small UAV, which there's no difference because all model aircraft are small unmanned aerial vehicles uh, aerial vehicles that's what they are so they like that know, word vehicle govco yeah, does they sure do absolutely yes. yes they so what they've done is they've basically gone back i used to fly model airplanes and and the kind of the the rules were there's no federal registration no faa registration with model airplanes at all and but what you have to do is be really safe the industry has their own kind of association where they promote safety and you're not allowed to get paid for anything and you're not allowed to make something that will then get you paid in other words um uh you can't somebody can't hire you to fly in a model airplane around and uh not be subject to some sort of regulation so it's kind of the same way as basically they're saying for U.S. citizens, Congress has decided that there's no registration requirement. The FAA doesn't make any rules on model aircraft. And so that got shot down. But that's not the end of it because all Congress has to do now is say, wait a minute, several million drones have been, have been uh, sold in the last year. And people are making money on it. And this is a whole new tax thing that we can do. And we can just re-identify what a drone is and... And uh, regulate it and tax it. I think Congress will do that in the next few years. But until they do, the FAA has no authority to say we're going to regulate uh, model aircraft, which includes drones. I wonder what planets align to to create this this circumstance where Congress would actually restrict a agency from uh, applying its overlord tentacles. Well, that that comes from. Uh, called the um, American Modeling Association, I believe. They were the ones back, um, you know, back in the day when in 2012, when this newest rule came out, 
the uh, they have their own lobbyist, you know, and you got all these members. Whenever you go to a remote control airfield, mm-hmm. you have all these people that are paying like thirty or forty bucks a month to be able to fly model airplanes, and they want to keep the FAA out of it, but kind of police themselves. So if you go to these fields, quite often you'll find people are very safe. There's strict rules, everything, but the FAA has nothing to do with it. What row? We lost you. I'm guessing there's been no uh, fatalities at these at these fields. And Corey, you with us? Hmm. Don't know what happened there, everybody. My apologies. We'll get him back on the horn here. Things are just going too smooth. And there it went. So, uh, people in these in these fields are, are self policing, and FAA has nothing to do with it. And and they seem, I mean, I have not read any headlines about any fatalities for people flying model airplanes. Well, that's a big thing too with the FAA is they've done a lot of testing, and early on, four or five years ago, when they first were trying, I think 2012 or 2013 was the first prosecution of somebody with a drone. Um, part of it was talking about safety. And since then they haven't really been able to generate a fatal accident, you know, flying these things at full speed into somebody's head. Uh, the FAA hasn't come up with it being a fatal injury. I mean, obviously you could get hurt, but, um, there's a little less, less worry about it. Hmm. So you're just you're just going to go out within hundreds of yards of the office that supposedly needed to enforce this ruling this this promulgation of rules just got overturned. Yeah, yeah. And and, and go fly. And you, and you think they're going to they they will have gotten the memo? Well, if they don't then <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, me. I love your enthusiasm, though, Corey. I like the glass half full approach. I really do. I, I really, <laughs> really do. And I'm sure your buddy is really thrilled too that you're, you know, going to do this. It'll be a special he's day. Ecstatic because he didn't believe me when I told him I can't do it. He's like, "What do you mean you can't do it? You know, you're the guy that had no driver's license, no <laughs> registration." <laughs> yeah, that's funny, actually. Wow, <laughs> it is funny, uh, but. He called around. He was willing to pay. He called around. He couldn't get anybody to, you know, come anywhere, fly anywhere near where we're going to be flying. Well, we've come a long way, Corey, from uh, poking the bear to having a uh, more measured approach. That, well, we'd rather take lower risk, higher reward to to get to the uh, to get to some results. Yeah. And well, I I mean, cre- the uh, the body of evidence that we've created over the past few years is pretty. I mean, it's it's darn right. It's pretty interesting. Well, I you know I don't even listen back enough to our prior podcast, and I just was catching one, checking the stream, and you know, just the whole you know the, our 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 biggest troll, and I say that with you know uh, uh, admiration that we got at least a big troll that wants to try and you know mess with our heads. You know, when you throw down about Faith Pennington. You know, if in fact we re- this is on episode one thirty one, we were talking about this. If in fact you know everyone's a U.S. citizen just because they were born in the several states, then why did Faith Pennington have to go beg to be a U.S. citizen? 
Yeah. I mean, it's just a simple in-your-face fact right there. I mean, the, the, she she didn't have a birth record. She didn't have a social security number. And so she was not a U.S. citizen. She possessed exactly. U.S. citizenship, but until she tried to move heaven and earth, she couldn't be a U.S. citizen because she didn't have that piece of paper. So, no, not everybody is one just because they were born here. just doesn't right. work that way. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And we, you know, for the people new to the show, you know, we uh, aspire and, and uh, uh, aver Article 4 citizenship because we think it has more value. It has, uh, it, it, there is no direct nexus with the federal government with Article 4 citizens other than if an Article 4 citizen has a matter that can be brought directly to the Supreme Court. Otherwise, there's no need for them to interface. And, and in this instance with the FAA, if you were... Uh, um, if you had secured standing and been recognized as an Article Four state citizen, you wouldn't have had to get permission anyway, whether the thing was overruled or not. Doesn't mean that you can't be held very accountable for your actions. We're not looking for a free pass at all. Right. Right. And I would suggest I, I'm sorry, Todd. I'm I have not eaten in a long time. This just this plate of food just showed up, so I took a bite while we were on the show. I if that came through, I apologize. Anyway. The uh, uh, <clears throat> well, I I lost my train of thought, buddy. Can you bring me? Well, back? I was saying that you know, if even if you didn't, if you could pursue your your the drone flight. Uh, oh yes, okay. The the drones. That's right. And not having a free pass. Well, right. That's really interesting because from everything that we've ever said on the show, there's still an authority that would provide government services for Article Four citizens. And it's that authority that would be able to uh, create, you know, drone use regulations. Mm. And uh, it's very inconvenient, it's difficult, and it's expensive for the government to offer that, not offer, but to, you know, provide that form of government and guarantee that that government is there. It's just a lot easier to say, you're a U.S. citizen, do what we say. Mm. And, uh, And so, yeah, certainly not. Not in any way is there a free ride on this. It's just making it difficult for the government. It might appear on the surface, oh, you don't want to be registered with the FAA or you don't want to follow the rules. Well, uh, not really. I'm absolutely willing to follow all the rules, you know, set forth by the legislature of California under the government of 1849. The 1879 government doesn't have authority to do that because that's the FAA's uh, regulation. In fact, it's interesting. If you go to an airport and you see a helicopter hovering, sometimes guys need to get uh, hover time. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get a an, an, uh, helicopter that'll be just 10 feet off the ground making all kinds of noise, but it's very low to the ground because it doesn't use near as much fuel. It's called ground effect. And so it can hover there for a long time using less fuel than if it was a thousand feet in the air. It's also very noisy for everybody. And I used to live near Van Nuys Airport. So um, every once in a while you'd get a guy that needed to get some hours in a helicopter but wanted to um, save on his fuel cost. So you just sit there and hover for an hour. And, uh, and it's so annoying, but there's absolutely nothing you can do because it's the uh, authority of the FAA. It being that 
they're sanctioning him just hovering there just to just to kill time and and there's no restriction by the faa to just hover there to kill time like the faa doesn't restrict that at all you're certainly allowed to do that but if he were to have if he were on the ground and just had it running then there's all kinds of stuff you could do because of the massive amount of exhaust that comes out of wow these helicopters yeah so there's you noise abatement is not local. It becomes FAA everything just as soon as they get off the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um. It's a double future. Rules for us, rules for them, Corey. That's how it works typically. And uh, I, I, I'm struck by the uh, this comment that was made at a Guardian dot uh, com. Uh, story about sovereign citizens. This, I'm going to tie this thread together, believe it or not. Okay, cool. Just jump this in there on you. And, and and this story is exhaustive. And and you know, they hate the U.S. government, and they're multiplying the terrifying rise of sovereign citizens. With U.S. counterterrorism efforts remain, while U.S. counterterrorism efforts remain locked on Islamist extremism, the growing threat from the homegrown right wing extremists is even more pressing. And of course, they got a picture of Cliven Bundy, and then this all the cliches of you know the. The, the bad eggs that have been out there, the canes of the world, and you know who shot Chief Powdered's kid and all that stuff, or purportedly shot Powdered's kid. Um, I, I've I've addressed all of this numerous times. The Anti Defamation League and the Southern Private Law Center's quoted, and there's all kinds of uh, just broad sweeping presumptions made about people's status and so forth. But when you get to the comments, that's what's really fascinating is the the guttural, you know, the the, the visceral reactions by people, and this one. I think speaks volumes. This person writes, and of course, their their name is not even a real name. This hatred of the state and its laws is puzzling. Like it or not, governments provide a measure of security and predictability. The worst places to live are the ones where government have failed or self-destructed, and the result is a free-for-all where a, where a might-makes-right attitude prevails. I suppose these people feel feel that they will survive a collapse of the U.S. government and don't care too much about anyone else. Let them fight it out. Just leave me alone. They are unwilling or unable to imagine a life without a central state, and that in the long run, that in the long run, chunks of land will be ruled by warlords who will impose their own version of laws and government. So, a little insight into the mind of the progressive who wants to, who worships government. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's either an all-controlling central government or complete fee free for all anarchy. Yeah, there's there's that it it makes no it's there's it not, makes no sense to a thinking man why so many people think that way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I don't know if you saw the recent cover of Time magazine. It was featured. No, it, it showed no. the White House with uh, morphing into the Kremlin, called the Red House. No, very uh, you know great graphically, you know arresting and very compelling, and you know, gets right to the point. But it just it reminds me of you know the 1987 um, uh, cover story that uh, July of '87, I believe, uh, where the cover story from Time was all about how American. Political operatives went over and actually set up an office and helped Boris Yeltsin get elected in Russia. So, I mean, we covered this on Agenda 31 months ago. I mean, but Time, I mean, Time Magazine, their their memories are so short that they don't even, you'd think that there'd be somebody at their own shop with some institutional knowledge that would remember the 1987, you know, Clinton era where, uh, I I, know it was actually 90, 
I can't remember the year. It was it was during the uh, uh, Clinton era, so it must have been ninety seven. That's what it was, ninety seven. Um. Uh, anyway, I just when I saw that image of of the the current edition, it just made me think of of that that cover story of of how you know we have our our we. People from the United States have been abroad to Russia and influenced elections directly. So this this nonsense continues. Meanwhile, uh, Trump has taken abroad, as you may well know, to uh, Saudi Arabia. And if you just look online on any type of interface, whether it's you know MSN.com or Yahoo or anything, you're going to see nothing but headlines of, of the visit. I've already seen some, some animated GIFs inside the Twitter feed of Trump getting some kind of necklace placed on his, on his, uh, over his head. And then him doing a quick little curtsy bow reminds me of the one Obama did. Maybe that's, you know, just, you know, uh, normal. I don't know. It looks weird. The guy that did it, you know, did kind of almost half acknowledged it. It's like, Oh man, what's going on? So meanwhile, uh, there is this gentleman who was on. Uh, well, you know, the office of the president has a, a whole um, team of people dedicated to protocol. Oh, I can only imagine. Sure, right. sure, sure. And if when he bowed, he was in Saudi Arabia, right? He is there now. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's probably more than likely when you're in somebody else's house when you're there. Yeah. Then, if if the proper um, decorum is right. to, you know, bow sure. rather than shake hands or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, then that's probably all that is. I, yeah, I don't know. Fair I don't enough. I'll, I'll give you that. And I've, you know, I've been in Japan and, and you definitely, there's a lot of bowing in Japan. So I, I get it, you know, absolutely. Well, I've been to the IRS and there's a lot of bending over there. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so the, the, you know, the other headlines you're going to see out there are, uh, big deals being done. Like depending on which headline you read and which story, it's anywhere from a hundred million to three hundred million dollars of uh, defense contracts. And like the top three were over there all last week in Riyadh. I mean, it, it is it is an interesting and worthy noteworthy dynamic that that Trump beelined his, on his first you know foreign trip to the belly of what many of us consider the beast, Saudi Arabia. Uh, if you oh. ever, if you ever, you know, uh, re- know about the Carlisle group, the, the, uh, private holding company that has, uh, uh, had board has boards of directors throughout the regions of the world. And daddy Bush was the chair of the Mideastern board of directors for Carlisle. And Carlisle provides the, uh, private army and security for the Royal family that rules Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're just, a it seems like there's a lot of bowing and scraping going on to Saudi Arabia so that I'm trying to understand and get a handle on what the upside gain is of paying, of paying so much dues to the, to the Saudis. Obviously oil is a big part of it, you know, over these yeah. you know decades, you know, but yeah. um, if you, if you read a, a gentleman by the name well, of, we don't need as much oil from Saudi Arabia now as we did 15 years oh, ago. It certainly doesn't seem like it. That's for sure. Uh, things have changed quite a bit. And oil prices, of course, are not helping them at all. And um, there's a gentleman. Um, I actually have it up at the show notes right now. Um, his name is Daniel Pipes. He has a blog. Now this is this is from 2004, so this is old. All right, this is this is an old posting. But the introductory paragraph is something I'd never really heard about. Ever since April 1945, when Franklin D. Roosevelt initiated U.S.-Saudi ties, 
In a meeting with King Ibn Saud, the two countries' special relationship has been the private preserve of presidents, vice presidents, cabinet ministers, ambassadors, flag officers, and other eminatos, plus their retired equivalents, thus Daddy Bush. The Congress has been as welcome in this important business as a skunk at a garden party. And for nearly half a century, generations of senators and representatives have invariably acquiesced to the executive branch's warnings that not to do its will would bring disaster. So I find that fascinating that, you know, that, that, the, uh, that Roosevelt was the one who initiated it with uh, it being the relationship with, with Saudi. And um, I also found a, two, a September 2016 um, Congressional Research Service document, which is linked at the show notes for episode 133, Saudi Arabia, background in U.S. relations. The reason I found this is because I started looking around for, are we also giving them aid? You know, we give billions of dollars to all these countries worldwide, and are we are we just donate? Are, are taxpayers giving money to Saudi so they can turn around and spend it with Raytheon? Is that what's going on? Probably not. To, probably not to the tune of a hundred billion. Uh, you know, that one seems a little extreme, even in in this day and age. But I couldn't really find a. a I did find a, a, a case where uh, last year or no, in two thousand fifteen, there was a report that said that the. Um, um, the State Department quietly released a fiscal transparency report, and it showed that uh, the Saudis were not meeting fiscal transparency in order to warrant uh, any aid and or uh, uh, defense contracts. So, I mean, it's just this is just all under the radar. This kind of stuff. Um, right. But this, uh, this, and the money's just stupid. I mean, a hundred billion dollar contract going into a couple of different companies i mean that that's just crazy money and the, and the, the, the summary in this says the kingdom of saudi arabia ruled by the al saud family since its founding in 1932 well that in and of itself is probably if you asked 100 people on the street how many people could tell you that it was founded in 1932 i mean i didn't know that and, it, and it, you know it, i'm guessing it was founded right after world war one or shortly after world war one as part of the breakup of the of the the, the globe if you will a la the movie, you know, 1919 in Paris when they were, you know, literally making the map of the new world. Uh, the, so, and it, you know, so a family gets to rule it, wields significant global influence through its administration, the birthplace of the Islamic faith, and by virtue of its large oil reserves. Close U.S.-Saudi official relations have survived a series of challenges since the 40s. In recent years, shared concerns over Sunni, Islamist, extre- extremist terrorism, and Iranian government policies have provided some renewed logic for continued strategic cooperation. Political upheaval and conflict in the Middle East and North Africa appear to be straining bilateral ties, but the full effect is yet to be determined. So this goes on to explain that during the Obama administration, uh, fiscal year 2015, the United States concluded bilateral arms sale agreements worth more than $58 billion with the kingdom. So if you fast forward to two years later, they've probably almost doubled that in their first year. So wow. Trump's been good for business. Let the bombs fall. Yeah. It's what the stock market says. Oh, really? Well, you know, whenever uh, the, uh, uh, what, what was he, bombed some airfield in Syria. Mm-hmm. And of course, those defense stocks that were related to that bombing shot up that day. Uh, you know, the the of course it's it's a little tired and perhaps cliche by now, 
uh, this many years later after 9-11, but what, weren't the, you know, the, the people that flew into the building Saudis? Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, that just it just escapes Americans' memory that, oh, yeah, the people that actually created all this havoc that, that ruined uh, our protections of our liberties were from this country. Yet we went and bombed Afghanistan first. Of course. All right. So... It, it, it's these are the type of details that I tend to you know recall when I hear about these when the, all the pop. I mean, so when you go and you look at this document, it's lots of uh, details. It's it's I'm gonna it's linked at the show notes at 133. It gets into uh, the 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 um, requirements that that Congress has put on the aid or no the ability to do business, especially with defense contractors. And um, I'm trying to get to them. I apologize. I didn't have it totally marked. It has to do with, um, here it is. In April 2016, legislation was introduced that would place conditions on future proposed sale notifications, previously approved sales or transfers of PGMs to Saudi Arabia. This was Senate Joint Resolution 32 and House Joint Resolution 90. These proposals would condition the sale or transfer of munitions on a presidential certification that, one, the government of Saudi Arabia is not providing funding, material support, or lethal aid to individuals or groups designated by the United States as foreign terrorist organizations pursuant to Section 219 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, 8 U.S. Code 118A, or specially designated global terrorists pursuant to Executive Order 13224. And it goes on to some other stuff about, you know, they're taking all feasible precautions to reduce the risk of harm to civilians and uh, making demonstrable efforts to facilitate the flow of critical humanitarian aid and commercial goods. And if you do some searching, they are giving billions of dollars to over 50 countries, all of them Muslim. Um, government of Saudi Arabia is taking all necessary measures to target designated foreign terrorist organizations and so forth. So, you know, this is some backstory of a, a year ago, there were some efforts to, you know, put a little bit of teeth into the relationship so that I guess with this guy named Jasser, who runs the American uh, Islamic Forum for Democracy, um, said on a Fox News uh, segment with this with Vassar and company, let's just see if this uh, plays well people of the Middle East and not just the tyrannical regimes as President Trump has been a disruptor. Now, Israel also needs to be reminded that they are our friends, we are their allies, and that sort of has been broken. So I think there's a lot of recalibration going on with the Trump administration making up for eight years of lost time. I said that he was there mending fences with our ally Saudi Arabia and mending fences with Israel, another obvious ally. You agree with that? Absolutely. And reestablishing sort of a, a balanced paradigm, which had become imbalanced and destabilized the region. Now I hope that we can now begin to hear a Trump doctrine that's not only about balancing stability, but looking in the long term to not only destroy ISIS, but destroy the ideologies that the Saudis, while being our allies, are also the primary cancer of radical Islam globally. I wonder what Mr. President, Mr. Trump has to say about that. We shall see. Zudi Jassa, thanks for joining us, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. I couldn't believe that was even uttered on the air. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was like that. <laughs> <laughs> I did a double take. I, I, I was like, whoa, did, did that actually make it to the airwaves? I can't believe it. And so I, I, uh, I'll play it one more time. Saudis, while being our allies, are also the primary cancer of radical Islam globally. 
of course, stating they're the primary cancer of it is a little bit of a you know weasel word. What does that exactly mean? I get that, but right. I, I think right. the intention is is understood. So I, I'm I'm encouraged that the that there's still some voices that are getting out there that are trying to remind people of the of the uh, um, you know it's a it's a double future. It's a double future, Corey. It's a double future. There's a future for people in Saudi Arabia that means no freedom, no. Uh, uh, no expression, no self-determination. There's a website called USAID, and they at idea.usaid.gov. You can do a comparison of on all these charts. There's a link to it at the at the show notes there um, of uh, different metrics: hunger and food security, economy, education, gender, health, trade, and investment. There's one called Democracy, Human Rights, and Governance, and it says. Uh, Civil liberties, aggregate score, 0 to 60, higher is better. The region has an average of 18.8 on a 0 to 60 scale for civil liberties, Corey. And Saudi Arabia comes in at 7, way below the region average, 60 being the highest. Political rights, aggregate score, 0 to 40, higher is better. Region average, 10.9. Saudis, 3. Overall score. Region average, 0.52. Saudis is so low it doesn't register. N.A. Political participation, free and fair election score. Kind of funny that we would be critiquing free and fair elections in the age of digital uh, yeah. hacking. But anyway, they, uh, how, how well do they go through the motions? Well, the, it's 1 to 10. Uh, 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 10 being the highest. Region average, 3.82. Saudis have a 1 for free and fair <laughs> elections. Transparency, international, corruption, the Corruption Perceptions Index score, 0 to 100, higher is less corrupt. uh, Region average, 37.5. Saudis, 46. So they're more corrupt than the average corruption in Middle East. Yeah. But meanwhile, let's put 10,000 law enforcement people on planes. I can't imagine what the bill is for Trump to go there and break bread and bless. Is that what it was? 10,000 people to go there? 10,000. Yes. It's wow. just, it's, you could get into the weeds and all the idiosyncrasies. It's crazy. If you just read about it, it's nuts. It's, it's, it's the, it's an extremely significant trip. Right. And I'm thinking there, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's something that we don't know <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes this meritorious, uh, if you will. So, and I'm sure that if, if we had somebody like, uh, I don't know, Mark Levin with us. He could explain to me exactly, uh, you know. No, we don't have a military-industrial complex. And why this is such a great idea. So there's my... Well, maybe the 10,000, it just turns out that uh, each one of them is a millionaire because 100 billion is basically 10,000 million, so... Apparently, and, and, and Kathleen was sharing this with me, and I, I haven't looked this up, but she's been hearing or reading that that they're pri- Saudis are primarily a welfare state because they've been so wealthy, they've just been able to just to pay people just to you know keep keep out of the you know the, the royals' way. Yeah, yeah, pretty much pacify them, and that gravy train has started to subside because of the low price of oil, and it's yeah. it's creating some problems. So maybe this is the shot in the arm. I don't know. It's not a shot in the arm. They're spending money with our defense contractors. So how, are the, how is that a shot in the arm for them for, uh, for funding? And it's interesting. I, I don't know. It's, 
it's worth paying attention to. And we don't typically go into whole foreign policy here, but it just was so on the radar, and I just heard that that comment uh, on the air. I, I had to I had to share it. Um, well, that's fascinating. I mean, it really is. Just yeah, I'm, think about that much money, and to what if you had a seven forty seven? How many people can that hold? Uh, as far as flying everybody over there, if you get airplanes with an average of oh, three hundred fifty people, they flew them, like they flew like thirty C seventeens in advance with all the equipment and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's it's it, it, when you have all the Tea Party types complaining about Michelle Obama and her, you know, vacationing and her call. I mean, it'd be interesting to get empirical data rather than just you know who shouts the loudest about the latest meme of right. who who's the most wasteful. You know. Right. It'd, it'd be good to have some empirical data. So uh, speaking of Middle East, um, I guess this week is the tenth anniversary of, or not maybe this week, but but recently is the 10th anniversary of the famous uh, Giuliani making fun of Ron Paul on the debate stage. Ah, that's 10 years ago? Yes. Remember we talked about blowback for the first time in a, in a mainstream you know, broadcast? Yeah. And Giuliani made fun of him, and, 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 and everybody laughed and so forth. So uh, Scott Horton, who I've been promoting lately on our podcast, is, he does great work. At the libertarianinstitute.org slash Scott Horton. Uh, he, today, he did an uh, interview with Ron Paul. And I haven't listened to it yet, but it's, it's, it's in re- reflecting on that, that moment and, and where we've come since. So I, I would flag that for those that are trying to pay attention. Um, something worthy of checking out. So meanwhile, uh, Horton interviewed uh, a, a gentleman who is, let me just pull this up. I apologize. I'm. Too many things at once here. There's a method to my madness, and I'm got too many. Here it is, right here. Um, he interviewed a journalist about Libya recently and North Africa, and I'm just going to go ahead and play this clip while I look for the citation, and let's just check this out. It's not going to fly, you know? So, I don't know. Give it a few years and a few more attacks, but it seems like it's coming to a head is all. I mean, I don't know. I've never even been to Europe. I don't know anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, there, there's still a very, uh, very powerful right, uh, not right wing, uh, very powerful left wing political correct uh, dialogue here. And so, it, you know, and especially with like group, groups like Facebook and, and Germany and the EU clamping down on hate speech and all of this, you have an underreporting of of right wing activity, I would say, mm-hmm. and they go out of their way. And one of the Swedish police chiefs uh, made became a Facebook sensation by saying, "There's all these crimes by immigrants, and I'm not allowed to report it." So I think it's it's very much a localized phenomenon, depending on within which country and even which part of which country uh, is going to be beneficial for the local politicians. And in some areas in, in, in Germany, say, there's ethnic Turks who are in charge of that area. And they will you know, try to seek and destroy the, the right wing and, and vice versa. But- this is, um, uh, shoot, had it pulled up here. This is a gentleman named Chris Deliso, D-E-L-I-S-O, author of Migration, Terrorism, Terrorism and the Future of a Divided Europe, a Continent Transform. 
and he's discussing the indications that the U.S. ambassador to Macedonia, Jess Bailey, is trying to orchestrate a coup without the knowledge or approval of the Trump administration, how a select few insiders are getting rich off the refugee migration history with George Soros from NGOs, and how U.S. intervention in MENA has created instability, increased terrorism, and allowed the revival of slave trade in Africa. The slave trade is what I want to get to and why I'm playing this clip, and it's coming up here. Okay. Uh, all right. Real in the big issue, in the, in the big picture, what is the EU's concern is West Africa. And this is where I was lucky enough to get a good interview with one of the operational leaders. For their prediction is that by 2050, the population of West Africa will double and that this is the highest growing uh, birth rate of any area in the world. And because of the you know, Libya war, basically, destroying any kind of, any kind of uh, barrier. You had now have a re- renewed slave market, just like it was in the, the 18th and 19th centuries. And so they're expecting a large-scale influx of West Africans, and this is why they're setting up different programs, which is, they're basically trying to say, you know, we'll give you money if you don't come to these governments. But when they saw that Turkey received this offer of, what, $6 billion for uh, not sending migrants. That was their deal uh, about March 2016. Other countries like Egypt, which have a, have a large capacity to send migrants, are starting to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, the Europeans will give us money if, if uh, we don't send migrants so we can play this card. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see other uh, countries on that end try to extort the EU for what they can get. Right. But, the, you know, the EU also has, has increased its powers by, say, creating a Coast Guard. So they were able to, to use this crisis for their own advantage for the big military producers. Because if you're Europe and you're at peace, you don't really need to have big uh, weaponry. So there's the, the one thing about, about uh, increasing the military production is the alleged Russia threat, of course. But the other is the migrant threat. So this is where creating the... European Coast Guard was helpful for some kinds of, of uh, infrastructure and military producers in order to get uh, more contracts and more money. Yeah. Man, isn't that just the most amazing thing in the world? Barack Obama, the first openly black president, uh, Calvin Coolidge, um, is actually not just the leader of the Libyan KKK, the Imperial Grand Wizard Dragon of their clan group there, responsible for all the pogroms and the Rosewood-style massacre in Tawarga and all of this. But now they literally have reinstituted the slave trade because of Barack Obama's war, private chattel slavery, because of Barack Obama's Libya war. Unbelievable. Just, god dang. And there's just... Not forget accountability. Nobody even ever says that except you just now, and then me parroting it back to you. Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> but that's, that's what you get when you get with larger and larger institutions, and you have loss of state sovereignty. Is they they, they just look at it as pieces of territory, and you know, counting statistics of, of of people. When you read the UN sheets, they'll say this many million migrants did this, and we need this much money, and. It's all just a business, really. Yep. All right. Well, let's- so the 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 commenter that I read from the Guardian, who I you know, labeled a progressive, who was pro state government worshiping, 
you know, I think it's fair to presume that they are pro Obama, pro Hillary. I'm sure of it. And th- this is the result. So the, the very, the very lawless nature that the, the, the lawless situation that this person was saying was going to happen if the so-called sovereign citizens, which of which we do not subscribe to sovereign citizenship, that is not what we're talking about here. But nonetheless, if we are for less government and a non-centralized state, if you will, uh, the, 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 the progressives themselves created this vacuum where we have slavery. And, I, and, and, and if you listen to Scott's rant there at the end, he named like four different, you know, he named a, a massacre, he named a town, he named some individuals. I mean, he just went off and I haven't looked them all up yet, but I did look up some. And it turns out that Reuters is on top of this right now. Um, they came out May 17th, world turns blind eye to Libya slave trade. And Libya has become a modern day slave market with migrants caught in a complex trafficking web, largely ignored by the outside world. A Pulitzer prize winning photographer said on Wednesday, Nar- Narciso Contreras, Contreras, who spoke to migrants turned Libyan slaves said most attention focused on the North African country as a gateway for migrants attempting to reach Europe by sea. What I found is that it's a slave market. It's like an industry, but the world is looking at Libya as a transit country. Uh, the humanitarian crisis of migrants trying to reach Europe is well documented. It's a story the Libyan authorities want to, be, want to be told, he said in an interview. But the vast market trading in human beings is largely undocumented. It's a human rights violation that needs to be addressed by the international community. Um, it goes on to say that it's just like... Uh, Migrants are traded for between $200 and $500 and are held on average for two to three months. Many from Nigeria, Senegal, and Gambia are captured as they head north towards Libya's Mediterranean coast. Uh, they fall prey to armed groups and smuggling networks. I mean, it's just right. It's, so it wasn't just a podcaster, Scott Horton, riffing on this. Right. You know, what happens after the two to three months? Are they let go so they're indentured servants for a while? Apparently, or? yeah. Yeah, it's uh, anyway. It's just another. Ex- I mean, I bring it up. Just we're just so ethnocentric. We don't we don't pay attention to what's going on globally and uh, right. the uh, individuals that people have supported for years. Just blindly, ha- their actions have resulted in things like this suffering, and and, right. and so the people that think that the the cloak of benevolence of government is is the way to go are fools. At least with regards to the actions of our leaders. And this goes on both sides of the aisle. The so-called R's and the so-called D's. They're fools. Yeah. Well, they're the left and right wing of the same bird of prey. Exactly. So we already know this. Uh, Quick update uh, about Tim in Illinois. Yeah. Uh, He had an opportunity to uh, put his hat in the ring for the school board there. Fantastic, and he has uh, some children in the in the in the public school system, and there was an election, and there was a seat that didn't get filled because nobody ran, and uh, he was going to run, but he had some family issues come up, so he couldn't, and those got resolved, so he decided to put his hat in the ring. There were ten applicants. I talked to him the other day about it, and uh, it's it's kind of funny and, and, and looking back in retro he didn't get it by the way Corey. he was he was called that evening and said thank you but no thank you oh too bad yeah okay. yeah yeah and he was prepared to uh um uh you know do some low risk high reward activity on the school board 
involving uh, following the Illinois Constitution with regards to paying uh, debts in gold and silver, among other things. I don't think he brought that up in the interview, but uh, nonetheless, um, uh, he was not selected. But what he did share with me was that uh, they recorded the meeting and they told him it was a closed session when he went into it. And that was uh, uh, typical of these small municipal, county, board, uh, school board bodies, these little fiefdoms. And I don't know if you've ever been, listeners have ever been to a county board meeting or a city council meeting where they, their city councils are pretty good about recording, but at least in Scott County, they don't even record the regular meeting that the public can attend. It's not recorded. And they don't like you recording, uh, even though it's totally fine if you record it. Uh, But when they go into a closed session to talk about a lawsuit or a property acquisition or some kind of boondoggle they don't want the public to know about, they record that. Of course. And it's, I mean, that's just, you know, again, it's, it's, a, it's a double future. You know, it's just the, the, the dichotomy is there. So the reason I bring all this up is that Tim asked while he was there, he, he, he knew that, the, that the, the timing of the appointment was critical to happen that day because training was on the horizon uh, next week or the following week, training for the board members. Right. So he started thinking like, well, if, even though I'm not on the board, Maybe I need to attend the training. I'd like to see how the people that are on the board are getting trained. What are they being trained to do? Right. I was yeah, like, that's pretty smart. I, I mean, I, I'd never cool. thought of that before. And so he's researching the Illinois School Board Association who administers the training. And I, and I warned him. I said, I'm going to guess because they're going to have a quorum during this training. They're going to call it a meeting and they're going to they're call it a special meeting that's closed to the public. Yeah. That's probably what's going to happen. But there would be some low-risk, high-reward activity right there. Absolutely. Because make it a meet. Fine, you have a quorum. Call it a meeting. But your training shouldn't be done behind closed doors. Right. Yeah, that sounds like a uh, Public Records Act request for the training materials. Yeah. I mean, and not that there's a huge smoking gun on the training materials, but just, you know, people, well, good to know. people wonder, like, what can I do? How about show up to the school board training and get involved? Do you know how much, do you know how much impact that would have on the school board if there was like 100 parents who showed up to, to witness the training? Yeah. Talk about engagement. Talk about, you know, you know uh, having a strategy to make a difference for your kid because you're there learning how the school board directors are going are gonna to govern. Right. And what they're being taught. And by who? Because they're total sheeple. Oh, of course, yes. And that's why Tim didn't get selected. I mean, we laughed in retrospect. I mean, he's an accomplished, you know, engineer, and you know, his resume is you know extensive. And I mean, why would they? Why would they appoint the smartest guy? They're not going to have. They don't want that guy. They want the yes guy. They don't want the guy who's going to ask questions. They want the guy who wants the title. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I thought. But just that little nugget of you know, out of that, you know, what can you do where you live? You know, if you have kids in the school system, go attend the training. You don't have time to be the, you don't want to run for election, but just get, you know, get up in some people's grills. Come on. There you go. <laughs> Jeez. So I, I think I've gone through my punch list, Corey. Um, and I think all that's left is to uh, share with our listeners that we're going to take a hiatus. Yeah, well, I got I got one little one little thing that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. This was Rob Bonta. Uh, he was mm. the uh, Democrat from San Francisco that was. Uh, he put up the oh, bill. Yeah. Um, 
about removing the uh, the communist restriction, like the prohibition from employment. You can't be a communist and work for the state. And the assembly approved the bill about a little over a week ago. And uh, the uh, under intense um, pressure from places that uh, have people who have migrated from communist countries, like in in Orange County, there is uh, quite a few different areas where there's a, a large Vietnamese population. Mm-hmm. And you will not get those people to come and tell you that communism is great. <laughs> you know, they, they survive. They know what it's like. They know. And they were very, very forceful. Um, enough of a force that even though this bill had been uh, approved by the assembly... Uh, the the uh, lawmaker withdrew it. I thought that was kind wow. Of that's fascinating. Yeah, because yeah. it was on its way to being passed, and it was uh, just people calling in, getting involved, and apparently a lot of them were from Vietnam. Wow. Well, it, there it, it it can happen. Things can change yes. if enough people get involved. It's unfortunate. It takes an extreme so, situation like that, you know. So I didn't mean to jump on that, no. but yes, the hiatus. Well, I just you know, there's just so much stuff happening and and uh, uh, internally here and uh, with businesses I'm running and 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 I need to help retool the revenue model at the River Cities Reader. Oh, speaking of the Reader, I do want to talk about that. There was a uh, my wife and I publish a newspaper called the River Cities Reader, and it's been around since 1993. And she did a piece recently, which I will put in the show notes, called Nudging Dominates TV News. And it goes into, uh, she says, I've warned readers many times that guided speculation is a sophisticated strategy to manipulate viewers and push us to predetermined conclusions. The Obama administration called it nudging. Cass Sunstein, the administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, from 2009 to 12, co-authored a book on the subject titled Nudge, and its precepts were implemented throughout the executive branch via executive order to effect greater acceptance by the public of President Barack Obama's policies and programs. It's doubtful the new Trump administration will disband this interagency behavior modification department. The question should be, toward what desired outcomes is the public being nudged now? And there was a link to the executive order regarding this uh, behavior modification. And it's, I mean, it's, it just reads as Orwellian as you could get. Um, to more fully realize the benefits of behavioral insights and deliver better results at a lower cost for the American people, the federal government should design its policies and programs to reflect our best understanding of how people engage with, participate in, and use and respond to these policies and programs. By, Im- by improving the effectiveness and efficiency of government, behavioral science insights can support a range of national priorities, including helping workers to find better jobs, enabling Americans to lead longer, healthier lives, blah, blah, blah. So he says, uh, in the executive order by authority vested in me as a president, constitution, president vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, I hereby direct the following. Behavioral Science Insights Policy Directive. Executive departments and agencies are encouraged to identify policies, programs, and operations where applying behavioral science insights may yield substantial improvements in public welfare, program outcomes, and program cost effectiveness. Now, you and I are on the same page, Corey, that he's well within his purview to, to manage the chattel that are U.S. citizens. Yeah, yeah. It's right there. And they're doing behavioral science experiments inside these 
agencies with the constituents that raise their hand for more government worship. Yes. Yeah, so. that's, I mean, it's just, they're allowed <laughs> to do it. When the framers put the country together, the, the federal portion of government was not supposed to have citizens of its own. It's just cutthroat. It's, uh, it's a whole different world. It, it, it has nothing to do with the people. It's pretty fascinating. And now yeah. everybody is a citizen of this entity that, uh, you know, the framers always knew that the federal power would constantly concentrate more and more authority within itself. They just, they, I don't think, well, obviously they didn't see the 14th amendment coming and, uh, and the people who wrote up the 14th amendment, I think knew exactly what they were doing and purposely did it in a confusing way. Oh yes. We are, uh, going to take a hiatus from podcasting uh on a weekly basis we're we don't have a schedule set uh we're uh generally speaking about a break this summer um just uh, i'm retooling how i'm doing the reader's revenue model uh you know it's it's tough to operate an independent newspaper uh in a world of facebook and google ads Um, boy that's for sure it's very very difficult um even the big boys are having a hard time so we, you know, if we want to keep that going, I have to turn some focus to that and uh, just some other matters that are on the horizon. This instead of trying to do this on the fly, not be prepared, and, and more importantly, more importantly, we, with regards to Agenda Thirty One's mission, Agenda Thirty One's uh, goals, we want to uh, have low risk, high reward. Uh, we want to be the uh, lowest risk, highest reward podcast universe. And, and until we have some new evidence of proofs of concept that we've discussed over the last couple of years. I, there's not much more we can say. Yeah, I think we've covered it. It's really pretty simple. Article 4 versus 14th Amendment. Nobody in history, in American history, has gone from being born an Article 4 citizen to finding themselves bound under the citizenship of the United States and then gone back. And that's what we've pushed on this show. I mean, that, that's the whole idea is being able to be a state citizen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the effort that's gone in, uh, personal effort from everybody, I mean, for us on the West Coast here, we've donated a few cars. It's been very difficult, uh, both financially, stress, having uh, prosecutions, like facing multiple prosecutions over a number of years. Mm-hmm. And now the last step. Really, all the paperwork is there. The last step is that filing in the Supreme Court. And the last couple of months, I mean, I have been working like crazy. It's Financially, we got way behind because there was a total focus on dealing with Los Angeles. And uh, the last couple of months, there's been some work. And uh, things are really nice. So I, I anticipate, rather than submitting something to the Supreme Court that isn't 100% ready. It's nice to be in a position where I was able to buy a car again, you know, which is nice. And uh, the job that I have, it's a contract job that will end in a few weeks. Um, and there'll be another one, but uh, like, like we, uh, kind of just alluded to offline or just barely touched. Um, there might be some, uh, this, I think for sure will give me the opportunity to focus on more of, uh, uh, maybe like a podcast style, uh, information coming out, but for the most part, Todd, we got to get a win. 
right? Yeah. Doing a podcast every week, that first win, that is the key thing, is getting a win in the Supreme Court where they say, no, you don't have to, you know, once you get rid of your driver's license, the DMV is not allowed to continue to use it. And once you cancel your agreement with Social Security, Social Security is no longer allowed to use it. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to pay taxes. We covered that in the episode with our, our special guest. You would, if you're working for a U.S. company, you would still pay taxes. But the key is n- now having the legal standing. If you don't have a driver's license and you don't have Social Security number, now you have the legal standing by being a citizen with no connection to the federal government at all. You're not employed by the federal government, no connection at all to be able to uh, challenge, boy, an incredible number of uh, statutory laws and be able to have the government out, you know, leave you alone uh, where it certainly it, it sure seems that the Supreme Court has indicated that absent a license and registration and plates and everything that uh, being pulled over for having a tail light out or something like that, that's a Fourth Amendment violation. Yeah, and there and, and people have uh, have been weighing in a little more on email lately with their ideas and stuff. And part of what I yes. was explaining was I haven't even been able to keep up with Stuart's efforts. You know what he's trying to share share with me. I haven't been able to keep up with Doctor Tom's efforts. What he's been trying to share with me. I have a standing uh, open meeting with Kurt Collenbach. I'd like to see him face to face. Haven't seen him since two thousand nine. Like to sit down and go over his stuff with him. So I'm going to, you know, instead of just talking about it and kicking the can every week and coming up with other stuff to talk about, I'm going to try and apply myself this summer and come back at the end of, of the summer and after Labor Day uh, with new information and, um, you know, and, and, and actually do what I'm saying say I'm going to do. Tim's agreed to, to meet me in Illinois with these folks who happen to be, you know, Kurt and Dr. Tom are in Illinois. So we'll have a little mini summit somewhere. Hopefully maybe there'll be a, a little R&R involved in that too and, and try and, uh, um, you know, compare ideas and so forth and see what shakes out of that. And you're going to continue to pursue a filing. I'm presuming, Corey, that you know, when you do make that filing, we'll get it up on the website for those who've supported us financially. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There'll be, you know, there'll be stuff I've been working on. Well, you saw the drone video of trying to come up with a thing that explains state citizenship. Yeah. So I've been penciling out uh, yeah. a video for that. I'd like to do some uh, some blog entry styles, but basically it's been, you know, a, uh, a difficult process developing kind of the groundwork that we have right now, which is all the letters to the DMV, all the fighting, everything. And it just comes down to now going to, uh, the Supreme court and I want to get it right. Uh, in the meantime, got to live, got to work. And, uh, yeah. I think taking the summer off, I'm I'm looking forward to it, Todd. I think that'd be awesome. I think we've earned it, for one, to take the summer off. Well, it'll, it'll help us in, in some other areas that have been uh, remiss. And you know, Anthony from San Diego, he's been checking in with us. He says that he's filed uh, the paperwork to bring a car in. For, did you see that come in? I did. Yeah. Yeah, that looks interesting. You know, so we're not saying we won't do a podcast at all this summer. New stuff comes up. We have the time. We're, we're going to do a podcast. Of course, we're going to lose our slot on the No Agenda show. I'm sorry, the No Agenda stream. I take that back, the No Agenda stream, where you can hear the No Agenda show live on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Thursdays at 11 a.m. And we're played back after that uh, live uh, deep state media assassination by Curry and Dvorak. We're probably going to we'll lose that slot, and uh, maybe we'll be able to get it back in three months or so. Um, I'll have to work it out with uh, Sir Bemrose and uh, uh, Void Zero. 
Um, and they don't even know if we're doing this yet, but I'm going to have to inform them. And uh, we're uh, anyway, it's t- the time for talk is over. It's time to act. And this exactly. summer, hopefully we'll get some some things done. And we appreciate everybody's support. You can still email us at info at agenda31.org. If we can get back to you, we will. Um, you're welcome to share success stories with us. Uh, might prompt us to do a podcast. If somebody's interested in doing their own podcast and want to submit it to me, I'd be game to listen to it. It's a collaborative effort here. Everybody's welcome to participate in their in the way they see fit. Um, and uh, I don't know if there's anything else we can share, Corey, but I, I think that kind of... You know, I think that does it. Yeah, I, and, and I would also direct you to to you know, the, there's so much good content out there uh, that's on the internet that's podcast driven. You know, from Greg Carlwood and the and the Higher Side Chats uh, to to Scott Horton's stuff to Tom Woods to the No Agenda Show. Um, th- there's just plenty of content, and and these these guys and and, and gals out there too, uh, the Congressional Dish, um, they are doing this full time. They are they're making it their hundred percent effort, and they're getting rewarded for it by their listeners. Yeah, and you, fantastic. And you and you get what you out of it, what you put into it. And we're obviously not doing this full time. This being podcasting, um, I enjoy well, it. You know that this really is is such a the agenda thirty one concept, the show, the concept of the show about having different citizenship. Uh, you know, kind of reinvigorating or or resurrecting, for lack of a better term, Article Four citizenship within the political landscape of the country. It it is, I think, one of the most difficult concepts to to talk about. We've done this for years now, and I think, like you say, Todd, we've covered it. It doesn't change. Texas v. White is not a decision that's going to change. It's not going to change that. The federal government has an absolute solemn obligation to guarantee a Republican form of government to the several states. And that does not include the governments that we see today. Those are not Republican forms of government. So we've covered this like no other show. We've dug into the archives of California um, for such a a specific piece of political information that we've covered. I, I think, you know, we've done a lot. There's nobody well, else that's... That's done we, that. we have and, carved our niche, that's for sure. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll give us that, and uh, um, I'm gonna. That, this will also give me some time to get caught up on on the on the uh, the episodes online with the show notes and album art and so forth, and have a, a more complete record there. I'm, I'm way behind on that, so I, I, that'll give me some time to do that as well. So um, this is not goodbye. It's just a uh, we're gonna take a pause. Labor Day. Yeah, we're gonna take a pause and. Uh, you know, if you haven't heard all the episodes, maybe you only tuned into you know in the last you know six months or a year, and maybe you've only heard a handful of them. There's there's plenty of them there. They're all there at the website at agenda31.org, and you can check them out at the uh, on the RSS feeds at iTunes and other uh, players as well. So, uh, Corey, I'm I'm sure you and I are going to stay in touch. And uh, absolutely, we uh, we still got to fly out there and uh, hang out at your place by the river. I, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. And uh, it's easier uh, to fool a U.S. citizen than it is to convince him he's been fooled. We do know this. And we continue to challenge everybody. What is your strategy to make a difference? Seems to be a slight nervousness in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah.
You know, Molly, I think the government needs more yeast in its dough. That 500 bucks looks smaller to me every minute. It's a double future. Some of you go, oh, I know it's written to rip us off, but it's good to have total control. So, yum, 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 I'm part of the establishment. No, you're not. You're not part of the establishment. You want to destroy those of us that don't want to be on your plantation with you, and it's, 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 it's quite frankly horrifying. I think many of you know that in America, our Constitution guarantees our individual right to bear arms. And as president, I swore an oath to uphold that right, and I always will. But at the same time, as I've said in the United States, but at the same time, as I've said in the United States, but at the same time, as I've said in the United States, I will continue to do everything in my power to pass common sense reforms that keep guns out of the hands of criminals and dangerous people. Today, we don't know. We're like a hotel that checks you in but never checks you out. All the people of the universe were once free to travel and mingle and build whatever they wanted. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. people. We don't want them running our lives. We don't want them starting wars. We don't want them being able to assassinate people. This should just add to our uh, impetus to try to do what we can to expose these people and to uh, uh, take power away from them uh, so that they're not able to uh, perform the evils that they have performed uh, for so very long. Someone in the government's working with the terrorists. Well, yeah, we're not really a free country. I mean, come on. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. We are the last line of defense. And if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Subscribe, share, and support at Agenda31.org. Okay, guys, let's get out there and make a difference. You know what to do.